You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Well, it is good to be here with you this morning. I, um, I'm, I'm pleased that Pastor Ryan takes breaks, and I hope you're grateful that he does too. It allows him to come back and serve you better. So um, I had no idea I was considered a voice of the valley, so I feel like I have an expectation to live up to now. So I will try my best to be a voice this morning uh, for God in your life. And so I'm excited to, to talk to you about what God's doing in my life. And I, I've been a pastor for, for 20 years. I know it's hard to believe. I look like I'm 18, right? But I'm, I'm actually 42 and God has done a mighty work in my life. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story today and why I am where I am right now and why we launched the Institute. And if you want to know more about Love and Transformation Institute, it's loveandtransformation.org. And you can learn more about what we're trying to do in the church and even beyond the church. Uh, We believe the great commandment is the ultimate thing we need to be focused on. And in many ways, when something is so forefront, we we lose it in the midst of the forest. And so I think it's important to call the church back to the great command to love God and love others. So we're dedicating resources and energy and a focus to getting people refocused on the love of God. And so that's what we're trying to do. So anyway, this morning, though, I'm going to talk about something from the Old Testament I want to talk about an individual, but before I do, I want to ask a question. How many of you have seen the new Star Wars movie? All right, I see a lot of you. How many of you don't care about Star Wars? Okay, well then bear with me for just a minute, okay? For those of us that actually enjoy the Star Wars movies, uh, I finally got around to taking my boys to see it, and I don't think I'm playing spoilers here because it's been out for a few weeks. And if you haven't already seen it, you probably aren't planning to see it. But in the story, there was a whole new twist that was introduced that I did not expect, and it really leads into today's message. And the new twist that was introduced in the new story of The Last Jedi was the idea of Luke Skywalker coming to grips with and learning to cope with his own fallibility and failure. It was a major focus in the film, and even Mark Hamill said that he wasn't sure about the the movement in the story to having a Jedi who's so powerful have to cope with and deal with his huge failure. And yet that's a major focus in the story, and I really appreciated that because it reminds me of the figure in the Bible I want to talk to you about this morning. If there ever was a biblical figure that was most like a Jedi... I would propose that his name would be Elijah. How many of you know about the biblical figure Elijah? Elijah comes to us in the book of 1 Kings and 2 Kings. And it tells us the story of this biblical prophet who was talked about throughout the New Testament. And he's held up as a model and example. And I would propose that he is the, probably the closest thing to a true Jedi. And I'll make my case. Stay with me here. First... Elijah thought he was the last of his kind. He performed many stupendous miracles. He had a protege, an apprentice, who carried on his legacy and his ministry. And he vanished into thin air, leaving only a cloak behind him. It's true. You can read about this in 1 Kings and 2 Kings. All those things are true of a real Jedi story. And so there's a phenomenal parallel. But what I finally connected was there was one more thing that Elijah had in common with Luke Skywalker. And it would be this. 
that he lived with the juxtaposition of two truths. One is that he brought incredible confidence and power to this world. But on the other end, he was characterized by incredible weakness and frailty. And he had to learn to live with both of those truths. And one of the things I love about the Bible is whenever it talks about its characters, it never tries to hide anything about them. It never tries to disguise or recolor their own weaknesses and frailties and sins. They're out there for all to see. And when it comes to Elijah, what's on display is a phenomenal story that is defined by miracles and demonstrations of power. And yet right in the middle of his story, the Bible tells us about his great weakness, his own frailty, his own failure. And it's on display for all of us to see and to hopefully relate to. And so for me, it's very meaningful because I connected with not Elijah's power and success and influence in the world, but more with his brokenness and his failure. And so I'm hoping this morning that as I connected with his own frailty, you might be encouraged and connect with it too. Because one of the things we do in the church is what we tend to pretend, don't we? We put up fronts. We come to church, put on our plastic smile, pretend everything's okay. And then we go home and we're dying inside. Going through whatever we're going through. And so I'm on a bit of a mission. This is sort of my message that I've been bringing wherever I'm going to challenge the church to get open and honest and real. And let's begin to talk about real human frailty. Let's begin to lean into the reality that we live in a broken world and we are broken people and we need to know that it's normal to struggle. And so it's helpful to look at characters like Elijah that are so powerful and glorious and praised in the Bible and to see that he too struggled just like me. He too struggled just like you. And so this morning, I want to point you to a passage. It's 1 Kings chapter 19. If you have a Bible, you can turn there with me and read. It's also in your notes. It'll also be on the screen this morning. I'm going to read 12 verses, read through the whole text. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to draw out some principles and some truths that I hope will be encouraging and challenging to you this morning. So in 1 Kings chapter 19, this is in the Old Testament, what we find is that Elijah is on the scene and he has just dismantled and embarrassed Jezebel and her 450 false prophets, the prophets of Baal. And he has just shown them up. He's rained down the fire of God. He's shown them God's glory. He's wielded power and he's mocked them and panned them. And he has shown them up and won the war. And then the next thing we see is he's tucking tail and running out of fear. This dramatic change happens in Elijah. In other words, at the top of his game, while things are going really well, he crashes and he burns. And we get a full view of it right here in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. So here's what it says. It says that Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid 
And he arose and he ran for his life and he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and he came and sat down under a broom tree and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, it says, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. And he ate and he drank and then he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and he ate and he drank and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. And there it says he came to a cave and he lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And Elijah said, I have been very jealous for you, Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I even only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And God said to him, go out, stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Perhaps you've read that passage before. It might be totally new to you. But it is this stunning interjection in what is otherwise characterized as a phenomenal story of success. Elijah, one of the greatest figures in all of history, who did more than we can possibly fathom, falls into a deep pit, crashes and burns epically. And it's recounted for you and me here in scripture. And one of the questions we ask is why? Why would they put that there? I mean, after all, if you and I were going to have a biography of our lives, would you be including something like that? Probably not. You'd want them to write about all your successes, all your wins, all the good things you did, the highlight reel. But to actually have them share for all the world to see, for all generations to pick up, that you as a man, you're frail. And as a woman, you're, you're weak and you struggle. As a human being, you suffer. And yet here it is on full display. And so what I want to do here today is I want to share three truths with you. And this is a bit of a departure from your notes today. Uh, the message has evolved a little bit, but I want you to write these down if you're taking notes. Three things that I took away from this passage that have tremendously encouraged me after my crazy year, and I'm hoping will encourage you if you've had a bit of a crazy year as well. And the first thing that I see out of this text that encourages me is that you and I are not unique in our struggles. You and I are not unique. In other words, we're not the only ones who struggle. And I don't know about you, but I need to ponder that sometimes. 
I need to remember that I am not the only one who struggles in this life. Because if you only look at Facebook every day, you might be inclined to think that you are the only one who lives this struggle, right? Everybody else is living the perfect life. I mean, look at all those photos they're posting. Look at all those updates they're placing. Look at those tweets that they're putting out. Man, life is nothing but great for them. And everybody puts up a smoke screen, right? And everybody's falling into depression because they're looking at everybody else's Facebook posts and says, but that's not my life. That's not my experience. In reality, if people were posting what's really going on in their lives and were totally transparent and honest, no one would want to go to Facebook. They'd be too depressed, right? I don't really want to see everybody else's drama all the time. When in reality, everybody struggles. Everybody hurts. Everybody fails. Everyone goes through this stuff. And it is a gigantic smoke screen, smoke screen for you to think or for anyone to give you the impression that they have it all together and they're perfect. Let's just make this very clear. Nobody is perfect, okay? Nobody has it all together. Nobody's all dialed in. Nobody has a perfect life. Nobody has everything go right. Nobody. Not even Elijah. And the reality is sooner or later, we're going to bottom out just like him. And the question is, what are you going to do when that happens? Hopefully, first, you remind yourself that you're not the only one who has this happen to him. There's something amazing about being comforted by the reality that guys like Elijah struggle too. The Bible is full of characters like him who are faulted people. And even though they love God and they do amazing things for him, they struggle. And so we are comforted by this experience. And so what you can see here is that you can substitute whatever word you want for struggle, whatever fits your situation. You and I are not unique in our own failure. You are not unique in your own pain. You are not unique in your own betrayal. You are not unique in your own addiction. You are not unique in your own loneliness. You are not unique in your own loss, your own heartache. Because what we tend to do is when we fall into something like that, we say, I am the only one who's enduring this. No one understands. This is only my experience. And then Elijah comes along and shows us it's not the case. You're not alone. You're not the only one. We all struggle with these things. And then we look at Elijah and he goes through the gamut of experiences. He has all the struggles we can relate to. For example, in verse 3, we see that Elijah struggled with fear and anxiety. Elijah had anxiety. Verse 3, it says that when he found out his life was being threatened, he was afraid. And he arose and he ran for his life. How is it that a guy who just took out 450 false prophets and rained down the fire of God is afraid of a gal threatening him? How does that happen? You know, a lot of times when the crash happens in our lives, it is an accumulation of stress. The proverbial statement of the straw that broke the camel's back, you've heard that. So in his situation, this was the straw. He was already struggling. He was already hanging by a thread. And yet this last accusation, this last attack, put him over the top. And he broke. And he was afraid and he ran for his life. He was filled with anxiety. In verse 4, we see that he also fell into depression and sadness. In fact, in verse 4, in his fear, he declares, God, let me die. I'm so sad, I'm so broken, I just want to die. 
And that is the voice of a depressed person, isn't it? Someone who falls into a deep, deep hole. So maybe you can relate to that. In verse 5 and following, we see that Elijah had exhaustion and burnout. In fact, in verse 5, it says that he was so tired out, he crashed. He wore down. What happens when you're suffering from anxiety and depression to the nth degree? You crash. You go down. And you sleep. You're tired. You're burned out. And that's exactly where he was. In fact, an angel had to come and wake him up twice just to eat food. When someone is struggling that deeply that you have to make them eat food and drink water, you know where they are. And so Elijah is anxious, depressed, exhausted, burned out. And then on top of that, he's angry and he's disillusioned. In verse 10, God comes to him and asks him, What's wrong with you, Elijah? What's going on? And he basically says, let me paraphrase, God, this stinks. Everybody hates me. Nobody cares what I'm doing. I'm all by myself. No one understands. No one loves you. This is a big fat waste of time. Get me out of here. So what do you do when you're completely burned out and depressed and worn out? You do the verbal vomit, right? (laughs) You let it all out. God, I am finished. I am done. I have nothing else to give. Get me out of here. And he's angry and totally disillusioned. So you have all these examples of things you can relate to. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to all of those experiences. In fact, I experienced all of those in the past year. It was one year ago that I experienced my first and my only to date anxiety attack. I had never had one of those. Never had that. But when it happened to me, I was traveling and I'll never forget how it felt when I began to palpitate. My heart began to beat out of my chest. I began to sweat profusely. And I got really nervous and I felt like I was gonna die. I had never in my life had that happen to me and yet, The place I found myself, I was so squeezed and burdened by the pressures in my life that I finally broke. And that anxiety attack led into severe depression. And I completely crashed and burned and had a breakdown. And and if you knew me up until that time, you would think he's the last guy to ever experience that. But here's the thing. If you looked at Elijah and you watched what he was doing, you would think he was the last guy that would ever happen to And the reality is it can happen to all of us. It's always unexpected. But every one of us is fragile. Every one of us is breakable. Every one of us can fall. And so I broke down. I'll tell you more about that at the end of the message. But I relate to Elijah's struggles. I relate to what he went through. And it's very meaningful to know I'm not the only one who struggles this way. And I want you to know you're not the only one who struggles with this stuff. Second thing I see in this text I want to share with you today is that you and I are not alone in our struggles. And that's a little bit different. It not only is a situation where you're not the only one who struggles, you're also not by yourself in your struggles. One thing that I found out painfully is that when you crash and burn and you fall apart and you break down, you're going to find out who your real friends are. You're going to find out who really cares about you. 
because all of your so-called friends go out the door when they don't want to deal with your drama, which should only be for your mama, right? I don't want your drama. I can't take your stuff. I'm out of here. And it's amazing to watch the people that flee your life when you're hurting deeply and you need them. When you can't give them what they want from you and all you need is something back from them, they're not prepared to give it. And so they run. And you will find out when you're all by yourself who your real friends are because those are the ones who stay in the fight with you. Those are the ones who lean into your struggle, who are not scared of your suffering. And they lean into it and they want to know more and they want to help you carry it. And you find out who's really for you and who's really with you. While Elijah had that experience, everyone fled. He's all by himself, camped out in a cave, crashing and burning. But who showed up? God. God showed up in a powerful way for him to remind him that above all, all your human friends, people you think care about you are gone, but I, your God, am here with you. And at the very least, what you need to realize is when you struggle and all the floor falls out in your life and the ceiling's caving in, God is always there. And we take that for granted. We use it like a cliche. God is always with us. Sure he is. But you're really going to value that when everyone else leaves. When God is all you have. And so when I went through my episode and I crashed and burned, a lot of people left my life. When I was no longer a consumer good for them to take in what I could give them, I found out who my real friends were. But do you know who stuck around in my life? God. And he revealed himself to me like he revealed himself to Elijah. And I was tremendously encouraged by the way God ministered to Elijah in his breakdown. In verse 5 and verse 8, you see God do something amazing. He cares for Elijah when he was anxious. When he was fearful and running for his life, God says, slow down, lay down, get some rest. Let me help you. And in verse 5, he sends an angel who wakes him up and gives him food and water to replenish his energy, to restore him. And then he goes back to sleep and then the angel comes back and wakes him up and gives him more so that he would be strengthened, renewed, replenished, restored. And here's something interesting in case you missed it. In the text, it's not just any angel. It says it's the angel of the Lord. Did you see that? The angel of the Lord is the one who came. And that's not just any angel. The angel of the Lord would have been God himself. The angel of Yahweh, many believe, was the pre-incarnate Christ. As he appeared to those in the Old Testament before he was born to Mary. Because we know that Jesus has always been. And so many believe that the angel of the Lord could have been Christ himself coming to Elijah to prop him up in his suffering, in his struggle, and care for him. Give him what he needs, food and water. And then secondly, we see that God empathized with Elijah when he was depressed. In verse 7, this is interesting. The angel of the Lord touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Now that's great, because you know someone cares about you when they know you better than you know yourself. 
when they understand that you're so exhausted and depleted that they know your limitations and they say, lay back down, get some rest, get better. You don't have the strength for this. So God looks at Elijah and he gives him what he needs. It's called empathy. Empathy is the buzzword. I, I read last week, it was one of the top five Googled words of 2017. Everyone's looking for empathy. Empathy literally means to feel what others feel. It means to, when they fall into a hole or a pit or a well, to go down into the well and feel with them. Rather than shouting down from the top, hey, I'm so sorry. I'm looking forward to when you can get out of the well. Come back up and join us. That's sympathy, which is different than empathy. Empathy is getting down in the well with them. And that's exactly what God does. Elijah, you can't bear this. You're human. You get sick. You get frail and you die. And I know that about you. And I feel that with you. So God gives him empathy. And then third, in verse 9, God listens to Elijah when he's exhausted. When all that stuff comes out of him. And he complains to God. God comes to him, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? And sort of render that in modern terms. It would be like God saying, Elijah, how you doing? Sometimes the best thing you can do for other people when they're hurting is to ask them how they're doing. No, really, how are you doing? How are you really doing right now? What's really going on in you? What are you really enduring? And then he vomits all this stuff. And here's the thing. God doesn't say, whoa, 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 that's enough. Come on, man. That's too much. Shape up, Elijah. Come on, Elijah. Pull up your bootstraps. Be a man. No, he listens to him. He listens to his hurt. He listens to his pain. He's with him in his exhaustion. And then finally, in verses 11 and 12, God does the ultimate. God listens to Elijah. He doesn't try to fix him. He doesn't try to advise him. He just gives him himself. God sends him himself. What God didn't try to do was dispense advice. He didn't try to give Elijah a pep talk. He didn't try to fix his situation. And here's the thing, God could have. That's why God sent earth, wind, and fire. Not the band. God sent earth, wind, and fire. And what is the purpose of those things occurring? Well, earth, wind, and fire, in this case, strong winds, quakes, and fires are symbols of power and might. But it says that God was not in those things. So God reminds Elijah, Elijah, I could fix your problem. Elijah, I could solve all your stress. I could take care of this. <clears throat> I could fix you. But that's not what he does. I mean, he could say, come on, Elijah, let's go. I mean, here's the famous two words. At least you have your health. You really want to create more anxiety in somebody? Tell them not to be anxious. You want to hurt somebody? Then use those famous words, at least. They rarely do good for somebody who's struggling. 
At least, Elijah, you have your health. At least, Elijah, you have your ministry. At least, Elijah, you're alive and breathing. Come on, Elijah, be the man. I mean, that's what we expect, isn't it? If I were to ask you to raise your hand about the house you grew up in, chances are all your hands would go up. If I were to ask, when you were a kid and you got angry and frustrated and sad, what did your parents tell you to do? Chances are they said, go to your room, change your attitude, and come out when your drama's gone. Why? Because we don't want to be around sadness. We don't want to be around anger, as though those are bad things. As though it's wrong to be sad. It's wrong to be angry. It's wrong to be devastated. It's wrong to be exhausted. Or it's wrong to be depressed. Let me just set the record straight. It's not. Those are human emotions that God gave to us. And God feels all those same things. He created us to experience that. And we have blown it in spades in the church by telling everybody, shape up, get better, try harder, change your attitude. And that's what the Christian life is supposed to be. And it's not. Jesus himself said, I came to call the sick, not the righteous. God sent his son into the world to help broken people. And guess what? That's us. And we struggle. And it's not going to help us get out of our struggle to simply give us advice or to quote a Bible verse or to throw some theology at us and say, listen, you know better. You should do better. If there's ever a place we ought to be real and free and open and honest, it ought to be in the family of God. Amen? To let people know that we're hurting. To let people know that we're imperfect. To let people know we don't have our stuff together or we're losing it. It's exactly where we ought to be. And yet we are great at ignoring that stuff and hiding it. Going into our caves and waiting for it to go away. And then coming out when we're all better. And so here we see in the life of Elijah. And in my own life, I have drawn encouragement by the fact that I am not alone in my struggles. God is with me. He's empathetic. He cares. He's compassionate. He's present. In this whole past year when I was struggling, God didn't blow me away with his power. He blew me away with his presence. He showed up in my life. He listened to me and I screamed and I cried and I suffered. And he didn't judge me. He didn't tell me to shape up. He didn't advise me. He loved me. He loved me. That's our God, friends. That's who our God is. That's what he gives us. That's what changes us. That's what restores us. And then the third thing, the third thing I took out of this chapter that I want you to have is that you and I are not stuck in our struggles. The good news is, is that even though we fall into stuff and even though we fall apart and break down, we're not stuck there. It does not define us. One of the great stories of the gospel is that it acknowledges our brokenness. It acknowledges our fallenness. It acknowledges our weakness. But it also acknowledges that God is strong and that he is faithful. 
and that he is able, right? So that where we fall, he can lift us up. And the story never stops at the bottom of the valley. We can always climb out. There's always hope. There's always a future. And so what we see in the story is that Elijah, even though he breaks and he falls, and even though he experiences all this range of hurt, God shows up, restores him. And what we know, if you were to keep reading through this book into the next one, Elijah's ministry expands. He comes back from this in spades. He comes back a better, more aware, more compassionate, more broken, more humble leader that God uses to do even greater things. So his breakdown becomes a breakthrough. And when you start seeing the difficulties, the trials, the struggles, not as something that came into your life to end you, but rather as something to grow you, then you begin to understand what the gospel's for. To remind us that there's always a future. There's always more. Elijah's story doesn't end after his crash and burn. He goes on to perform more miracles, to accomplish more feats, to build an even greater legacy in his ministry. And the takeaway is that if he can come back, we can come back too. If he can turn the page, we can too. Sometimes you just need to see that in the Bible, you can come back. There is restoration. So my situation is, I am on the other side of that. Uh, we were, <coughs> excuse me, we were sitting around <clears throat> on New Year's Eve at my house. And we were going around the table with my family sharing about 2017. And my kids and my wife were all talking about, what was 2017 for you? And it was my turn, I told them, it was no surprise. 2017 was a wild year for me of the lowest of lows and the highest of highs. I have never experienced a range of being so low and so high in one year. And of course, they had a front row seat to my crash and burn. After 20 years of pastoral ministry, um, I got up in front of my church a year ago Christmas, and I told them all in tears that I was depressed, and I was hurting, and I was burned out. 20 years of ministry had taken its toll, and I had broken. And I couldn't do it anymore. And I walked away. And I let down a lot of people. And a lot of people let me down. But do you know who didn't let me down? Who didn't forget about me? Who didn't walk away? It was God. He is faithful. And I'm on the other side of it to bring a message to the church now of encouragement. Then number one, we need to start with the fact that we are fragile, frail, broken human beings and that we cannot save ourselves. And struggle is real. And the hard stuff like anger and sadness and depression and addiction and loss 
is part of the human experience and part of the human condition. But it doesn't have to define us because God sent his son to the world to not just save us from our sins and give us a place in heaven, but to give us a future. To bring us back to life. Not just to save us from death. This is not just something that begins when you die. God brings us back when we fall down in this life. So my hope and my encouragement to you is that I don't know what's going on in this room. I don't know you, you don't know me. Apart from this morning. I'm just a guy who comes and talks about the Bible. But what you know about me is that I'm honest. And I'm open about my struggles. And I want to give you the freedom to be open and honest about yours. And that life really begins when you're able to share it with others. And that you give yourself the grace to hurt and struggle and fear and be angry. That that's a normal part of the human experience. But at the same time, allow God to come into your life and to bring you back. To breathe new life and to restore you back to where he wants you. You can make a comeback. And if you're here today and you're dying inside, and you're hurting in a profound way that maybe nobody here knows about, I want you to know you can look at the story of Elijah and you can see that there is a comeback. And there's a God who will help you through it. Your breakdowns can become your breakthroughs. That's my story. That's my encouragement to you. And I hope that this might become something in your life that begins an open conversation with yourself, with God, and with others. I hope the floodgates open and we begin to bear our souls and let people know that there's no more smokescreen. That they can know us for who we are because God knows us for who we are. And we have nothing to hide. And there's more to gain by being open and transparent and real in our struggles than there is to lose in it. And so wherever you're at today, if 2017 was a really hard year and you're looking forward to 2018 and hopeful, then I can relate to you. I can relate to you. And I hope that you have something today to encourage you and to carry you through whatever you're dealing with. Can I pray for you now? Father, I, um, I was deeply ministered to by the story of Elijah. Father, how he is a man who did incredible things. He wielded immense power. And yet your word acknowledges that even though he had this immense power that you gave him, it also acknowledges that he was a man with a nature like ours. That means he struggles like us. And we read today how deep the struggle was. Lord, how he was anxious and depressed and angry and burned out. And how we're all going to find ourselves at that place at some time. But you are a God of restoration. You are a God of safety and presence. And as you revealed yourself to him and brought him back, I pray you do the same for us, for my brothers and my sisters. That as we acknowledge our humanity and our weakness, that we embrace it and allow you to restore our strength. Allow you to bring us back. 
Father, the gospel brings hope to this life, to our life. And I pray, God, that for those who are hurting today and going through hard stuff, that they would relate to Elijah and they would connect with you today as you reveal your presence to them and they feel the still silence, the thin whisper of your presence in their lives, knowing that you've never left them alone and you will never leave them and that you empathize with their pain, you listen to their heartache, you care for their soul, you console them as a loving and gracious God. Thank you for being that to us. Thank you for breakthroughs. We praise you in the name of Jesus Christ. And all God's people say together, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.